This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. Welcome to the first ever episode 34 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented folks from the Southern California hospitality industry and beyond each and every episode. I am your host, Groff McCarthy, as always, founder of the Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to Miss Allie Coyle for providing music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com or find her bouncing around any of her family's three restaurants here in Orange County, Fable and Spirit, Dublin 4, and wine works for everybody. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating review wherever you're listening to it. There are some new spots, including uh, being now live on Amazon. SoundCloud is on the way. Um, and still waiting on Google. They're being a little stubborn, but Amazon is live. So again, leave those ratings, reviews, wherever. It helps other folks find it. And go to thebestseats.com for more content just like this. What a couple of crazy weeks it's been. Obviously, some major things going on nationally. I don't know if you heard. There was an election. Um, depending on where you fall on the aisle, there still is an election, but this is not a political show. This is a food show, even though food is inherently political. That's a topic for another time. Uh, obviously there's been a really, a lot of things going on. This episode was recorded a couple days before the election really kind of got going. So I, I was going to release it originally kind of right during election week, but then with everything continuing to go on and kind of all the you know, delays and counting and stuff like that. Um, I didn't think that it was going to be fair to my guests to do that because it would have just gotten lost in the news cycle. So a little bit of a delay on releasing this episode, obviously a bit of a delay between this one and the last one uh, featuring chef Rachel Hagstrom up at Justin. But, you know, regardless, sometimes as important as I think food is, there are bigger things to worry about, including a presidential election. So I hope that you survived it. And I'm glad that you are back listening now. And I thank you for the support, as always. As far as the support stuff, before I introduce my guest, a couple of housekeeping notes really quick. Patreon has been a little bit wonky. Um, they're supposed to be releasing the episodes early over there. Um, the kind of initial Patreon plug is obviously removed, as well as any advertisements that do go with those things. But it's just been a little bit wonky. Everything is fixed now. So if you are a subscriber over on Patreon, I do apologize. But everything is back up and running. Episodes after this one will be releasing early questions, comments will be opening back up as well as a slew of other announcements for exclusive stuff coming to Patreon for the rest of this year and through 2021. So be sure to go to patreon.com slash the best seats and check it out to learn more for yourself. Anyway, let's get right to it. Uh, this episode was really cool. It So there's some audio things in this episode because I made the mistake of not realizing that I was interviewing two people this episode. Um, I thought it was just one. I'm sitting down with the owners of Eat Chow in both Newport Beach and Costa Mesa, California, out here in Orange County, co-owners Chef Brian McReynolds and Amy Frawley. Um, I didn't know I was interviewing both at the time. That mistake ultimately is on me for not doing some due diligence and kind of following up with them before we sat down. So I only had one microphone with me. Um, I don't have a lot of extra mics and equipment anyway, because this is a self-funded show in the middle of a pandemic. 
And even though so many of you do support on Patreon, those funds have to go to just kind of basic site maintenance, domain maintenance, stuff like that. Um, so there's a little bit of passing back and forth for the microphones. I thought about rescheduling um, and kind of doing the interview again, but ultimately, once we really kind of got going, as you'll hear in the interview, the kind of the level of honesty and, and passion that came through from both of the guests was just too good to run the risk of having to reschedule and find another time. And obviously, when you're running a restaurant, you're renovating two restaurants, as you're going to hear, and you're trying to just survive in the middle of a pandemic, time is a very, 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 very um, hotly contested commodity for people in the hospitality world. There's always kind of the way this show goes, multiple reschedules, you know, having to bump up times, things like that. So yeah, I just bear with me for the audio on this one. Um, definitely tried to clean it up some as best as kind of my amateur audio technician skills would let me, but it's a really good interview. Um, and if anything, it just kind of speaks at the time. You just got to adapt and survive. And that's what we did for this episode. And I think it's a hell of an episode and one that I'm very, very proud of. So without further ado, I don't want to take up too much more of my guest time. I've already taken up enough of yours with some housekeeping. So let's get right to it. The owners of Eat Chow in both Costa Mesa and Newport Beach, California, Chef Brian McReynolds and Amy Frawley. Enjoy. So beautiful day down here in Newport Beach at Eat Chow sitting with both owners of the restaurant. Would you both, for those that are unfamiliar with the restaurant, and there's no reason that they should be given how long it's been around, would you both mind introducing yourselves and giving a little bit of your background? Hi, uh, I'm Brian McReynolds. And what's a little bit of my background? Like, uh, where I... Yeah, like um, where you started kind of your, basically your chef resume, how each Chow came to be a little bit. Ooh, wow, that's a long that's story. A long story. <laughs> started dishwashing when I was 12. Um, I'm from Park City, Utah. In the summertime, all the ski bums leave and the restaurants um, are left uh, without any employees. So um, all the restaurants would hire kids. And um, so I started dishwashing when I was 12, uh, line cook when I was 14, uh, executive chef when I was 19, cooking school when I was 25. And well, we opened this 12 years ago, a restaurant chewer, <laughs> when I... God, how old was I? I don't know, 40-ish, 38, somewhere around there. So, But to the each house story, um, maybe we let Amy introduce herself, and then we can start on that because she's been here since the beginning. So so my name is Amy Frawley. Um, I started in the restaurant business when I was, I think, 15 or 16 as a hostess, and that was in Scottsdale, Arizona, and became a food server and was uh, at a fairly high-end restaurant in Scottsdale uh, all through college. And then after graduating from ASU, I started working for a boutique hotel. Um, and I was the catering assistant and then uh, was there for a couple years. Uh, worked my way up to catering manager. And then I started working for high-end fashion. And so I kind of did that for a few years but kept falling back into restaurants some way, somehow. Um, fast forward, I started uh, at Eat Chow. I walked in the front door uh, the first week that they were open to say hi to Brian and Eric, who Eric was Brian's initial business partner, um, and Eric was a chef. And both of us worked at an institution in Newport called Hot Cakes Cafe, and that's where I met Eric. Um, Eric and I remained friends after leaving Hot Cakes, and I just walked in the door to say hello, and 
they asked me if uh, I could help them out for a little while. And at that time, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to go back into the restaurant industry. And so I told them, okay, I'll be here and I'll give you 90 days. I'll help you out. And that was 12 years ago. 12 years is a long time for a restaurant. I mean, if you look around the current landscape, the majority of the heavy hitters that kind of make the annual best of lists, uh, whether you kind of agree with them or not, and Lord knows I kind of take umbrage with them a lot of the time, most of those are between two, five years, maybe. And five would be on the elderly end for a lot of them. 12 years, you're talking, you're transitioning from the term restaurant to institution. Now, you know, again, unfortunately, I want to get kind of one of the painful parts of that institution out of the way first, which was that you guys had three locations. One of them, whether it was kind of COVID related or was not, was one of the first ones to publicly kind of be put to bed during this entire thing in the past seven months. I mean, I should mention, we're recording this end of October, give or take, what, 28th today. When did the third location go down? Because I remember vividly seeing that, and I had a lot of chef friends reach out to me when that kind of social media started to make the rounds of saying, that's like, that sucks, like terrible. Like a lot of people that have been on this show reached out and really offered like condolences for it and things like that. When did that all happen? When did it drop from three to two? Four days after COVID, after we shut down, or after restaurants were shutting down. I don't know why four days, but we, we decided that it was time to, it was a good business decision, but we decided that it, uh, it was time to shut down Santa Ana pretty, pretty soon after, like the whole COVID thing hit, right? And um, I concentrate on the other two, concentrate on Costa Mesa and, and uh, Newport. Um, yeah, so that's what we did. How have the past kind of seven months been to the other two locations? We've been uh, we've been fighting, you know. The I think we were like two and a half, almost three months of just doing to goes right. And um, gosh, we've got really good. Uh, I mean, we've got pretty we've got loyal customers. We've got really good customers, and I, I think they kind of they were helping us out. And they, it seemed like they were eating, they were to, a lot of to-go food, a lot of to-go food. So we were really happy with that. I just have a little bit of a different perspective on that. Um, when Brian says that we were, we're fighting, it just means that, you know, week by week, we didn't know what was happening. It was, you know, we were dine-in only, and then it went to, okay, we're shutting down for, you know, two weeks. But then four days later, we were like, okay, we, we can't be shut down. And then we were to-go's only. And then it was dine-in and to-go, and then it was outside only. So it's just like a lot of like week by week, you didn't know what to do. And then that's really hard for staffing and for, you know, on many levels, it's very difficult to operate a business when week by week it's changing um, out of your control. Um, so in that respect, yeah, we're fighting. We're, you know, but on the other hand, we have been so supported by the community it is so humbling, actually. I mean, I remember a few days literally having tears in my eyes because all of our regular customers and people that I didn't even know were coming in and just supporting us and then tipping our employees like 100% of their bill. And just the support of the community has been amazing for Costa Mesa and Newport. Kind of going back to Santa Ana, you know, we did well in Santa Ana, but Santa Ana was, was tough for us. Um, I don't know if we really connected with the city. I know that we did have a lot of loyal 
customers, but didn't you feel that way, Brian? Like, I don't know if we really connected like how we connected with Costa Mesa and Newport. So when COVID hit, it was in springtime and that was our busy time. That is when we, you know, we're on, we were on an hour and a half wait and we were able to put away money to help us through the slow time, which was summertime. For whatever reason, Santa Ana kind of really slows down in the, in the summertime. So when COVID hit in the springtime, I knew that it was going to be really tough for us to make it, you know, throughout the rest of that year. So yeah, that's where we get our reserves. Yeah, we got our reserves, you know, during that time. So, you know, we just had a heart to heart and I'm like, listen, I don't, I don't know if we're going to make it. I really don't, you know, and, um, and it ultimately after a lot of, uh, hard conversations, we decided it was best for us as a business to, to shut down that location. It's never something you want to do, but obviously restaurants operate on such a razor thin margin already. And the business, even before you're dealing with a global pandemic, is not an easy one. It's very tasking. It's very trying. It demands a lot, both fiscally and personally. Is there any kind of, and it may be morbid to say it, is there any sort of sense of relief that you're only trying to make two places survive rather than three right now? Um, Yes, 100%. (laughs) I mean, it's a lot to have that many employees. You know, we were open seven days a week for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's hard. You know, a lot of restaurants don't do that. You know, um, it's a lot of liability. It's a lot of work. It's a, it's a lot, you know. And um, since shutting down Santa Ana, Brian and I have really been laser focused on Costa Mesa and Newport. And we're seeing the benefit of that, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if nothing else, it saves on the commute. So <laughs> it's easier to go between two restaurants than go between three restaurants, definitely. So for me, this is fun because this is the first time that A, I've had two guests on at the same time, but B, two guests within the same restaurant and, you know, quote unquote restaurant group that see the business from different perspectives. Obviously, back of house and front of house. How have each of your roles kind of changed during this time? And I know obviously those first two months, it's just a crapshoot. You're wearing every single house in the hat because, A, you probably had to cut staff, furlough people, et cetera, things like that. But again, we're seven months now, end of October. It's going to be November, which is insane to think about that we're still dealing with this now. How have your roles changed? And are there any kind of positives you can take away from some of the other hats you've had to wear during all of this? Interesting question. I think we wear different hats all the time anyway. I mean, like, Amy's huge on, you know, the menu, right? I mean, she's got a great palette. I mean, she wears that hat. You know, her and I work together with all the menu items, right? And then I'm I'm in front is... I have as much experience in the front as I do in the back, right? So... Um, that's a good question. We just with operations and doing uh, build outs and renovation when we uh, you know what I mean? We were uh, well, I would say that obviously Brian is a chef and has a lot of experience you know in the back of the house, which mm-hmm. I do not. Um, it's an interesting relationship actually. Uh, so I, I'm not a chef, but I do a lot of the creative on the menu and basically I, I meet with Brian and I'm like okay I'm, I'm seeing this I want to do that I think we should do this and he goes in the kitchen and we play around with it and um, we have an agreement that both of us have to ha- you know have two thumbs up on a dish for it to go out you know um, that can't waver 
Um, but as far as wearing hats, I think we both wear hats back of the house, in front of the house, every day. I think it's always been that way. Don't right. you think? Right. Um, I guess if push comes to shove, though, the kitchen listens more to me and the front listens, listens more, to, yeah. more to you. True. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. There's been kind of an interesting development for a lot of restaurants during this entire process, which, and you mentioned it, obviously having to deal with doing takeout, things like that, to a volume never done before. Um, and I would say probably for most restaurants, never done before. And it's this evolution of, especially when you're short-staffed, you're not just dealing with your traditional front of the house or back of the house. Now you're dealing with this entire kind of what I've kind of been referring to as the cloud of the house. It's all the digital management. It's all these new orders. A lot of people I know recently have switched entire POS systems so they can better accommodate digital integrations. What's that learning curve been like to have to shift from, I mean, were you, were you doing to go before? We were doing to go, but Costa Mesa, our to goes are, um, they, they were as high as 30% of our sales down at Newport. It's, you know, 15, reach 20% while we're open, right? And then, of course, we, we moved the whole dining room outside. I don't know. I thought it was pretty... Uh, we, we do a lot of to-go business, obviously, with the platforms. Um, I'm going to say it is quite frustrating uh, working with these companies. Um, you can be as candid as you like. Okay. None of them sponsor <laughs> the show, and none of them ever will. So. Okay, great, great. <laughs> Based on so, past interviews alone. <laughs> we just, we struggle with the drivers, you know, being rude and, um, you know, I, I had a customer call me complaining that they got their order, but half of it was gone. The driver had eaten it, had driven half, and she was mad at me, you know what I mean? And yeah. blaming me for it, where I'm like, this is a completely different company. And the driver came and picked up the food because I was there, you know what I mean? So we've had crazy stories like that and just, um, it's, you know, and they... The two drivers that almost got in a fight. Oh, yeah. Drivers getting fights. Yeah. Yeah. Drivers <laughs> getting fights with each other because they're picking up for the same customer. Buddy, like, yeah. so it's kind of, it's really frustrating on that end because I have no control over that. Yeah. And a lot of, I get phone calls, you know, saying that, you know, items are missing or, you know, like, you know, like with COVID, you, you can do alcohol to go and they're calling me saying, hey, we didn't get our sangrias or we didn't get that. And it's obviously the drivers yeah. taking that, you know what I mean? Or doing whatever with it. So... On that level, it's pretty frustrating. The tablets are, there's always a problem with the tablets and, um, you know, them going down or getting them to pause. Because sometimes we get so busy, we have to pause them and there's always an, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. I'll just. You both have been in the restaurant industry for so long. Speaking from each of your respective fields, again, kind of the front and the back and obviously your experience chef in the front as well. Obviously, this is not something anybody ever thought they would face, but what have been some of the biggest surprises kind of puts it too nicely but what have been some of the biggest kind of shocks throughout this aside from the obvious fact as far as it relates to kind of what your normal workday would have traditionally been before a pandemic what have been some of the biggest changes that you've had to adapt to from that standpoint that is a great question um i'd say it's pretty difficult to haul out a tired dining room of furniture outside and inside every single day <laughs> i mean that's pretty hard um and then always wondering, like, you know, if it rains, what are we going to do? Or when it gets cold, what are we going to do? And, um, you know, you're just constantly every single day going, okay, we're going to get a tent. Okay, well, we don't want to enclose it too much because we want to be, you know, obviously very sensitive mm -hmm. to the protocol, which I know a lot of restaurants are not really doing that, but we feel it's important to 
to, to do that. Um, we definitely want our customers to feel comfortable coming here on every level. Um, God, I hope that answered your question. That's, that's I, there's really no wrong answers nowadays. Okay. That's kind of the best part. Again, this is all new for everybody. So, But I'm curious to hear about the kitchen standpoint too. But how has your days changed and kind of what's it been like for you and, and not just you, but your team and trying to bring chefs in. And I'm assuming that you've probably had some staff changes throughout this entire process. So what's this been like from your standpoint too, for running the back of the house? You know what? We've done, we've done pretty... We've managed to keep most of our staff. Good. Plus, we had some... Uh, some staff coming down from Santa Ana and I don't know honestly we're we're probably running a little high labor and back but I don't know I guess the way I think of it is uh I mean people need to work right now you know what I mean so we'll get some people on this you know we'll let it slide a little bit you know what I mean because people need hours you know you mentioned the menu development comes from both of you but obviously there's a sense of kind of seasonality product sourcing things like that that is leaning a little bit more heavily on your right. kind of hand in the back of the kitchen what's this been like for you the past couple of months and again that even right the past now couple of weeks produce is high yeah yeah uh, really high like the highest i've seen it almost ever and uh and then put that on top of the a lot of to goes and you know, buying more to-go containers, uh, dry goods, you know, that kind of stuff. And then it uh, percentage gets taken out by the uh, delivery companies. And they take out 22 23%, right? So our, our food cost is a little bit high, you know, 3% high right now. So It could be a big increase for a restaurant. Gonna, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So... Um, you know, we just try to order on spot, you know. Um, but I, I don't know. I think our, I think our, I feel like our food's better than it ever has been right now. Our, uh, our chefs are uh, really taking it upon themselves to step up. I think they all have. So, and people are pretty happy to be working too you know because that couple months where we were just doing to goes we couldn't have everybody working right we just didn't have enough business yeah so yeah it's i feel like it's pretty uh pretty yeah. healthy right now yeah i feel that we have probably like 95 percent of our staff back in the back of the house That's and great. they they were all just itching to come back itching to come back and this is their home i mean we have right. i mean Julio, who's now our kitchen manager at Costa Mesa, he started off as a dishwasher 11 years ago. And most of our kitchen staff has been here 10, 11, 12 years. This this is their home. It's pretty remarkable for an industry with the turnover rate that this one has. That's great. Yeah. So we've been really lucky and fortunate. But yeah, this is a, they were dying to come back. So you mentioned the support from the community and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the support or lack thereof from the various kind of governmental institutions, whether it's state, federal, things like that. What has been managing those waters been like? I mean, obviously we touched on the state one a little bit with the you know, up, down, all over the place. And, and Lord knows we could probably do a week worth of a podcast just talking about the different kind of implementations of that. But I'm curious about, did you look into like the PPE loans and things like that? And what was that process yeah, like? Yeah, we got the loans. We got PPP. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, that, that helped a lot actually. So. That took a lot, and it was pretty quick. And, uh, yeah, I'm nothing but good things to say about that. That was a stress reliever, to say the least. That's great. Right? That's that's one so, of the few yeah. stories I've heard that actually 
it sounds like it worked the way it should yeah, have. All three, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, during that time, we were talking to other restaurant tours, if you mm-hmm. will, um, in the community, and you know, it, that was also a great thing. Is that restaurant tours and work, we were all coming together, like calling each other. What are you doing? How are you filling this out? You know, did you get the money? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we were all calling each other um, daily. I would say. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, trying to chart through these waters uh, together, you know, and that that was really great, actually. I'm glad you brought that up because it's one thing to talk about the community from your diners and obviously the people that are ordering your food and keeping you afloat fiscally, but that hospitality community, for as many restaurants and businesses as there are, it's a lot tighter than people think. And I know I recently interviewed uh, Greg Daniels from Harley in Laguna Beach, and he said the same thing. Pretty much everybody in Laguna Beach was on like a conference call. They were meeting every Monday, talking about what was going on. Has that relationship, I mean, it's inherently always been there because it's a small world. But how has it changed, at least in your eyes, these past several months? And and again, I've got a follow-up question that I want to ask, but what's it been like kind of these past couple months seeing that community kind of rally together a little bit to help each other out? You know, it's, wow. yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it's like bonding, you know, and when you're in this, this right. industry is unlike any <laughs> industry there is That's, really. I've done, yeah, understatement. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's like birds of a feather flock together, you know, and especially during a crisis, you, you know, you're, you know, there's a level of competition, of course, right? But I think... When something like this happens, you know, everyone like rallies together and you're in the fight together. And I know that there are some restaurants that that had to shut down and that's heartbreaking, honestly, because we, I mean, we know how hard it is and, and the, the love and the passion that you have to have to, to do it and then all of the hard work that goes in with it and then for it to, you know, not work out. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. It really is. But I am, you know, seeing a lot of restaurants that are really doing well and that's that's great I and mean, we're so happy for them because um, we know what it's like from the standpoint of that community is there it's supportive but then there's also the flip side of the coin that is everybody just needs to survive everybody wants to survive and to some extent everybody has a right to do what they are going to do to make sure they keep their doors open and their staff employed one of the things that I've seen that's been a little frustrating looking from the outside looking in is the lack of cohesion, guidance, kind of guidelines consistently. It kind of seems like it's the wild, wild west. Everybody is generally trying different stuff to, again, make people feel safe. And then there are some that are just saying, fuck it, let's see what yep. happens. Yep. What's that kind of like for you? And I'm curious to hear both of your perspectives on this from both the front and the kitchen. With that is um, people, the like our Newport location, it seems like people wear less masks than our Costa Mesa location. People wear more masks up there. We should mention that difference is only what? Four miles, five miles, give or take? Right, right, yeah. It's kind of a trip. Um, people are pretty safe at both, though, you know? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think that you know, people just have different, you know, political views and et cetera, et cetera. But it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, we've right. had conversations about this where I'll be down at Newport, you know, in the morning and then I'll come back to CM and it's just like, it's so different. I've got a lot of customers that do not wear masks down here and that's fine. I mean, do you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, our staff is going to wear a mask and, you know, we're going to wear a mask and we're going to, you know, our tables are 
you know, six feet apart. And, and we sanitize every single menu. And, you know, we're, we're doing everything that we can to make people feel safe, bottom line. But I do know that there's other restaurants that are not complying at all. And I know it's upsetting a lot of people. But then there's a lot of people that don't care. Yeah. You know, they're in there shoulder to shoulder and not wearing masks. And I don't know. It's interesting, right? Like, I, I don't think anybody on either side of the aisle wishes that it ever became so politicized mm-hmm. as they have. Has that, I mean, again, it's one thing to deal with drivers. It's one thing to deal with, you know, the nightmarish kind of POS systems and things like that. Have you had to have kind of those? Because what I'm seeing recently is you talked about the immense support you had in the beginning, mm-hmm. kind of that unwavering, you know, tipping 100%, whatever you're fiscally able to do. Obviously, Newport and Costa Mesa, respectively, are pretty well off socioeconomically. Mm-hmm. So that's a benefit. Mm-hmm. But I have heard horror stories of now that people are coming back a little more consistently of, you know, getting in a hostess's face, you know, about the mask thing. Are you starting to see horror stories kind of like that a little bit? Because you do, as you said, you do deal kind of with that, whether it's the Newport or Costa Mesa location. So has there been any difficulty with customers since coming back or is it fairly open and respectful? With the masks? Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, we did have one one customer that I think one of my employees had the mask not covering his nose because he was in the kitchen and it's hot back there. It's a small, small, hot, hot kitchen. Mm -hmm. And he just walked out with it, you know, right here. And I know that upset one of our customers. That was the, yeah, that was the very, very beginning of COVID. But, um, you know, it was in that moment that we're like, okay, we're all wearing masks and we're all wearing it appropriately above the nose. And, you know, every, you know, and that's just how it's been since then. But for the most part, the diners have been respectful and yes. kind of res- good. Yes. Do you think that the fact that Eat Chow has been around for 12 years has an effect on that? Because there's that kind of level of respect. They know the restaurant is basically, like I said, an institution. You know, if you'd been around one year, do you think they would be as respectful? Or do you think that being around for as long as you have kind of helps submit? You know, it's almost like you don't, get, you know, you don't talk back to your parents type of thing. Right. <laughs> I haven't really thought about that, but actually now that you're saying it, maybe, yeah, maybe, you know, and, but we, I mean, we've been here for 12 years. We have a lot of regular customers that we know that, I mean, like that we know now, like they're like family, you know what I mean? So I think, you know, people feel like they're coming to their second home or like, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Again, I would say restaurants as a whole are kind of that, that third location between kind of, you know, your home, whatever your kind of place of work or, you know, place of faith, whatever that thing is, you know, this, everybody has their cheers. Basically. Oh, That's the old adage, right? 100%. Like it, there's not a day that goes by that you don't see, um, us hugging our customers. Well, not so much anymore, but, um, <laughs> I guess elbowing our customers or ask, you know, knowing that their kids graduated or knowing that their, you know, kids got married or, Another thing I've noticed is, uh, through the years is that a lot of our customers come in and they literally just got off a flight. You know, they were in a, they were somewhere on a trip, and this that each house was the first place that they went, like straight from the airport. And it was funny because I actually I've heard that quite a bit, which is like, that's awesome. See, that's a hell of an endorsement. That's not something I've heard because I get off a plane, the first thing I need is to go like to a power car wash and that was before COVID so now I can't even imagine what that would be like now but I kind of love that getting right off a flight you're like no no I need to go eat now yeah Yeah, you know we miss that or you know it's home Chef I'm curious about yours too 12 years in one spot I mean that's that's a big commitment kind of from your standpoint professionally a lot of chefs you know unless they are in your kind of position of the owner it's you know better than most It's, it's a transient job it can be something where guys are there for a year you know two years maybe but Twelve. I mean, what's it been like for you to see it, you know, from birth to where it is now, and, and kind of to have that long term? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to say that um, our original business partner, Eric, uh, who passed away in a car accident, what, eight and nine years ago now? Got his ten years ago. Um, I, I guess I just want to. I mean, he was uh, instrumental. You know. I don't know. I guess. I guess owning a restaurant's different than being a chef of a restaurant. Being a chef owner. You know what I mean? We're just getting into it now. You know. I think of uh, here. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, like, I'm going to answer ahead. for him. <laughs> so, Brian uh, opened Eat Chow with Eric. Eric, um, but I, Brian financially put every penny he had to open Eat Chow Costa Mesa. And when I walked in, you know, two days after they were open, you know, they asked me, can, can you work for us? Can you help us? And I said, absolutely. Well, how much are you going to pay me? And they're like, well, we have no money. Like they, when you opened the doors, you didn't have one penny in your bank account. And I mean, you know, so. Um, Working for meals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I waited tables, you know, and that's how that whole thing started. But I think to answer the question is, you know, Brian put everything he had in, had no choice. He had to make it work. We all had to make it work. Failure wasn't an option. Yeah, it's just not an option. Yeah. And, and so I think uh, that's still kind of probably your, your, our mindset. Your mindset is that it's not going to be transient. We're going to make this work. We're going to make this happen. Yeah. This is, you know, that's kind of like how, how we think. Like there is, failure is not an option. <laughs> that's kind of the, I mean, that's the most romantic version of kind of the restaurant ownership right you pour your heart soul and literally every single penny you have into it and you make it work and like you said failure is not an option um with the way that things are going and the hard truth that you know some places are not going to be around when the dust settles after this do you think that that story is still going to be written in the next couple years to come or do you think it's going to be put on hold for a while while the more kind of you know hillstone groups continue to open up type of thing are you going to see chefs hesitant to step out on their own? I mean, well, I think especially in cities like New York, you're probably going to see that. But in general, do you think that those, the chefs are going to make that leap to chef owner? It'd be a gnarly time to open up a restaurant right now, It would now, be ballsy. Right? Yeah, if nothing else. But people else. are, right? I don't know. Maybe, maybe we opened. I, I, I took everything out of my bank account um, a month before the stock market crashed in 2008. Yeah, that's true. Oh. I just did the math right now in my head. So 12 years. So yeah, okay. So, so you're talking about the other fiscal crash. So I was so. crazy to open up a restaurant when, you know, when that was going down, right? So I guess, So, <laughs> so if there's, ma- if there's you, chefs out there crazy enough that are going to do it. So right? if you make it through this or that and you make it through this, that's like somebody's grandfather who fought in World War One and World War Two. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Uh, that's how I feel. Well, I have <laughs> other restaurants like um, Paul Tassio from Hotcakes. I mm-hmm. can talk to him. And I, I, I uh, you know, appreciate his opinion, right? And uh, he's been there for, what, 30 years now? Yep. He's the gold standard, right? And then um, Dan. Dan Bradley from Memphis. I mean, these are two guys I respect a lot. They've been around for a while. Yeah, very much. Do you find yourself cooking as much nowadays or kind of slowly pulling hair out and worrying about numbers do you miss kind of being on the line a little bit or is it more the managerial side is definitely kind of taken over I, I i like being in the kitchen i like being in the kitchen more than the other headaches <laughs> <laughs> well i've been in the kitchen the last couple of weeks though we're putting out more food we're putting out new food we're revamping the menu right now and it's yeah great. we just started working on 
bring out new specials, which is exciting for us. Right. I mean, this is what we love to do. This mm-hmm. is the fun part, right? So, but yeah, the last six months, no, it was just, we're going to make it through another day. We're going to make it through the day and do the grind, right? But it, Yeah, I should mention, I mean, we've been going for about 30 minutes now on some pretty heavy topics. Um, but I think it's important for people to tell their stories about how they've been dealing with those topics. But it's not like we're sitting in a hovel. I mean, this place, obviously, is people who are listening can hear is kind of you can hear the kitchen going you hear music i mean but you guys are also renovating right now i mean this place is brand spanking new looking tell me about the renovation down here at the newport location and kind of how things have been going did that start pre kind of shut down so this so you're renovating a restaurant during a pandemic cool yeah so how that started was <laughs> um, on the edge. i know right talk about crazy um so this is during the the to go only period of covid and I was at the Costa Mesa location, and I was just standing there. Because, you know, it's an empty dining room, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Brian came in, and I'm like, listen. Because we had loosely talked about, okay, we need to, we've been here almost 12 years. We need to, you know, we've been loved to death is what we say. <laughs> you know, so. You but make it sound like a, like a woman that serves cocktails <laughs> at a casino. <laughs> just. <laughs> That's what we say. But it was love true. I was I looking around that. the dining room, and I was looking at everything and I'm like you know what Bri like it's time like it's and this is the perfect time because you know we couldn't seat inside so why don't we you know and it's hard for us because we are open again seven days a week breakfast mm-hmm. lunch and dinner yep. so it's we're constantly open so you don't have a downtime yeah we don't yeah. have downtime so I'm like this is this is it this is where we do it and um it's kind of was Pandora's box uh you know we wanted to do this and then this and then this and then this and then um but in the end we are thrilled with how each location looks we're thrilled with it um it looks clean it looks fresh modern um yeah we kind of rebranded to be honest but um, it makes us excited to come into the restaurants again. You, you know? feel like you're breathing new life into it. Yeah. I mean, and well, as you said, I mean, love to death. I mean, you got to bring it back a little bit. So what's the re- uh, response been like from your diners? Uh, to be dining outside and to look in and be like, oh, shit, you're building a new restaurant essentially right now. We have we've been talking about we want to put like a camera on the front door just because when you see people walk through the front door, they, no they are just like, I mean, it's like they're like, whoa, like this is amazing. You know, it's just it's makes us so happy but yeah people love it like they're loving it which is really great that's great to hear it sounds like both of you for all the kind of troubles you've had to overcome are in a good place both with kind of the restaurant it seems like do you feel like you've kind of quelled some of those fires that you had to deal with early on and now you have like a better handle on things maybe like kind of some of the delivery service or some of the to-go i mean what do your day-to-day look like now? I mean, compared to the you know rat race that it was a couple of months ago, does it feel like it's settled down a little bit and you kind of feel a little more comfortable? Mm-hmm. It's kind of become the new norm. I mean, really. It really has. I mean, just servers wearing masks and... Or, you know, everyone wearing masks, actually. The back of house, front of house, and guests. But it just kind of feels like the new normal, which is actually really interesting. Sometimes I'll, I'll just go through the grind of the day and then it'll just hit me like wow like this is the new norm like kind of remembering back when you didn't have to wear a mask and it was a little bit more would you say intimate or something a little closer a little more yeah are there anything or any aspects of restaurant life from either one of your experiences that existed pre 
global shutdown that you'd be happy if they didn't come back or maybe something that changed that you think should not go away i mean the most universal one that i've gotten is the alcohol to go sales just because that's another money maker but are there any aspects whether it's kind of life in the kitchen or life up front that you hope don't come back or stick around uh well the outside dining has been amazing for us it's been amazing for us and for our customers especially down at newport beach i mean we're literally right across the street from the beach yeah, I really should mention, I know that I have people in New York and Florida that are listening to this right now. In Florida, you guys can kick rocks, but this is pretty <laughs> gorgeous right now. We're literally staring at the ocean. It's about 72 degrees, and it's almost November 1st. So that's an advantage no one else in the country has. Correct. Well, we have some of the best weather in the world, and there's not a lot of restaurants that have outside seating because of old codes and, mm-hmm. you know, regarding like if you have this many seats you have this much you have to have this much parking or you know whatever it's really really difficult to have patio seating in southern california and well in this area so you know we're right across from the beach we have all of our you know older dining room furniture out there and it looks kind of beer garden-esque i guess you could say yeah but how many seats did you add out there because it looks like you definitely added there's about 40 seats out there. 40? Yeah. So yeah. outdoor dining is something you think should stick around? Absolutely. How's Absolutely. it been working with the city and kind of people like that about getting that all set up? Everybody's been very accommodating. And, yeah. I mean, we just, we just hope, fingers crossed, that they allow us to keep seating outside. You know, it's, I mean, it's great for us, but it's great for the customer. It's great for the community. Mm-hmm. You know, people, why wouldn't you want to sit outside, you know? I do. So it, it's, it's a win-win, um, I think, for everyone. So we hope that that continues, that we'll be able to keep seating outside. It's both universally agreed on that. So the outdoor dining is the main thing that we want to stick around with? I think yeah. so. Perfect. I can't yeah. disagree with that, especially yeah. on days like this. That's got to be a godsend at a time like this. Now that you're starting to get indoor dining back as well and things like that, to be able to kind of double up is yeah. huge. Chef, yeah. from your standpoint, have there been any any changes during kind of all of this that you've really kind of enjoyed or have there been any positives kind of that you've been able to take away from this experience, whether things you've kind of regrown to love, whether it's being back in the kitchen a lot or kind of any aspects like that. We're just happy to be open and rolling again a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I, I just, I'm just happy to be, you know, back in action. I don't know if that answers the question or not, but (laughs) the, the positives of this. Yeah. Are there uh, any kind of positives to take from absolutely. the whole experience? Number one, the support of the community being, you know, knowing that our community cares about us and they don't want us to go anywhere is just affirmation. I mean, it's a stressful, uh, this is stressful. And to have customers coming in saying, we don't want you to go anywhere and we're going to be here every day and ordering a bunch of food and wine to, to go and having that support is amazing. It makes all the work worth it, to be honest. That is being able to have you know double you know our capacity our seating has been amazing so uh, i think i think covid has brought you know people together mm-hmm. um at least here at each out it's it's brought community together for sure and um uh, again having patio seating across the street from the beach has been a win-win for for everyone as well you mentioned it felt like you kind of rebranded the restaurant mm-hmm. um, and it kind of feels reinvigorated. Do you think your customers feel that too? Do they feel like they have a new kind of a reinvigorated relationship with Eat Chow during Abs- all this? Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we serve like, you know, California comfort food too. You know, a lot of Mexican food, a lot of uh, kind of like home style kind of, or uh, uh, comfort food. You know, grab their favorite dish or whatever, you know, and... Well, I know that you both are very, very busy, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Any other kind of last words or events or anything that you want to say to the rest of the hospitality community or the dining public who are also listening that would want to look into <laughs> immediately turn the mic back? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I would definitely say that we are just incredibly grateful, you know, for our customers, um, you know, who's... Another person uh, is my social media girl, yeah. girl Yumiko. She's just been she's been there with us every step of the way, like fighting the fight with us, and you know, um, really, she's been instrumental in like keeping our name out there yeah. and um, engaging with our customers. And um, she's been really instrumental in in, in this. Our and hearts go out to the other restaurants that aren't as fortunate as us. Um, Sending good vibes your way, yeah, and it's uh, a hard enough business to be in without. Yeah. 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 So, um, and just a, a a humble thank you to uh, Newport Beach and Costa Mesa uh, for supporting us. It's humbling. If people want to check out each out for themselves, follow on social media, kind of like you said, where can they do that at? Eachoutnow.com. That's our website. Eachoutnow.com works. <laughs> That's our website. <laughs> I don't know. What is our Instagram? I don't even know. That's right. I will link it at the end of the okay, show. thank you. <laughs> I'll make sure everybody listening finds it. Don't worry. Thank you. Well, guys, thank, thank you. you both so, so much for all the, everything. Thank you for the time. Um, yeah, nice to meet you. This is ecstatic to be down here and to do this. And like you said, on a beautiful day like this. So. Hey, do you want some lunch? <laughs> everybody else come down to get lunch, too. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to you for listening. Thank you to Chef McReynolds and Amy Frawley for their time, for opening up the restaurant to me and being able to sit down and, and talk so candidly about things that are pretty tough right now. Obviously, a lot of chefs and a lot of people are going through a lot. Um, restaurants are closing all the time as the rest of the United States heads into winter and it even cools down here in California and Orange County. Uh, a lot of people are going to be hurting, so there's not going to be as much ordering out. Obviously, most of the holidays coming up are kind of sit at home and cook, but uh, as always, please support restaurants and great ones like Each Out. There's so many restaurants out there that always kind of gobble up the accolades, you know, justified or not. Truth be told that, you know, if it's a pay to play situation for magazines or if they really are just that astounding, there's so many other good restaurants that we forget about or we don't give the credit where it's due as much as we do some of the, you know, newer kids on the block. But a place like Yi Chow is special and it's special to the community. It's special to the heart of the community and it's a place that we should absolutely support. So I hope that if you are in the Orange County area and listening, you will do that. If you have a place like Yi Chow, wherever you are listening, go support them. Thank you for your support of me and this show and the continued support. Please be on the lookout both at patreon.com slash the best seats and the best for some really big announcements coming up, including a very special episode 35. If all goes according to plan, there should be some real fun ones in the work. I'll see you soon. The best seats podcast is an original production of the best seats. 
It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Robert McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Alexander Cook, Katie Cassie, Eric Lutz, Serena Warino, Cheryl McCarthy. Thank you for your support.